Greetings and welcome to the first episode of Mostly Goodkind, the podcast based off of the Sword of Truth series by Terry Goodkind. Today we will take our first steps into the Heartland Woods and meet our main hero, Richard Cipher. Before we begin our travel, I would like to briefly go over just the back cover. It gets a good idea of what we can expect and is a typical book cover that gets your attention and makes you want to learn more. A legend begins. In the aftermath of the brutal murder of his father, Richard Cipher encounters a mysterious woman, Kaylin M. Nell, in his forest sanctuary. She seeks his help and more. His world, his very beliefs, are shattered when ancient debts come due with thundering violence. In their darkest hour, Kaelin calls upon Richard to reach beyond his sword to invoke within himself something more noble. Neither knows that the rules of battle have just changed, or that their time has run out. This is the beginning. One book. One rule. Witness the birth of a legend. What I love about this back cover is just how vague it is, but gives you that desire to know more. You know, we don't know anything about Richard's father's murder. We just know he was murdered. We don't know anything about Kaylin, because all it is is she's a mysterious woman. We know that Richard obviously likes forests, so he's a nature guy, and he may not know exactly what to do when it comes to helping Kaylin. It's mentioned a sword, but we don't know just how important that sword is. And we know that they both have to fight. We don't know what they fight against, but we know they're going to fight. The ending, of course, is just that punctuation of importance. One book, one rule. And that just touches you and gets you to want to know what rule. Now, obviously, with the title of the book being Wizard's First Rule, we know that there's going to be plenty more to learn, but we don't know exactly what they are or the fact that we will technically experience them throughout the entire series without knowing we're learning the wizard rules. Some of them will actually be taught as a wizard rule. Others will just be experienced and Richard learning what they are as he goes. Richard, as we meet him in this book, is just a lowly woods guide that tends to stick to his neck of the woods, figuratively and literally speaking, and help people that need to go from one area to another safely without getting distracted by the boundary. Uh, The boundary is a divider of sorts created long time ago by a wizard who was trying to keep different areas of this land separate. The boundary that we'll learn about first is between Westland and the Midlands. That is between a magical land, the Midlands, where all things great and creative are, versus Westland, which is a magic-free place. Most of the people in Westland don't even know that magic exists. The boundary has been up long enough to where most people don't even remember it. They just know that this bright green, magical, evil, underworld-like thing keeps them separate between their land and this one next to theirs. So they only know anything based off of rumors. For our first little foray into the book, I do want to read the first paragraph. That way we can kind of see just how Terry writes and how beautiful this place is. It was an odd-looking vine. 
dusky variegated leaves hunkered against a stem that wound in a stranglehold around the smooth trunk of a balsam fir. Sap drooled down the wounded bark and dry limbs slumped, making it look as if the tree were trying to voice a moan into the cool, damp morning air. Pods stuck out from the vine here and there along its length, almost seeming to look warily about for witnesses. The imagery in this first paragraph is so key to the entire series. Richard sees this vine and just how alive it is, but how it's also killing everything else around it. The way that Terry explains this, you can actually see this thing, this vine, these pods, and just how evil they are. Now, we don't learn it yet, but we do know that this vine is called a snake vine. This vine technically comes from the other world, which is what this boundary is made of. The boundary basically puts the world of the living and the world of the dead in the same place. So because the boundary is weakening, which we find out later in another chapter, these vines and other creatures are starting to come through. Now, due to the description that Terry put into the book, we can assume that it is becoming autumn. The nights are getting colder. It wouldn't be long before their cousins down in the Heartland Woods joined them. The oaks, being the last to surrender to the seasons, still stoically wore their green coats. All the trees around are mostly starting to turn red, except for the lower areas, so aka autumn. Now, later on in the next page, we learn that Richard has seen this one vine before. He found it in a blue jar, which is what he and his father, George Cipher, used to communicate between each other while George was off doing his own woods guide stuff. So this blue jar usually gets something put into it from their travels that they can each look at. And this blue jar is also the only thing that survived George's attack. The home of George, Richard's father, was basically destroyed and searched through when George was unfortunately murdered. Richard is out in this area looking for this vine because he knows that his father wouldn't have put this sprig of vine in the blue jar if it wasn't important. So that is why he's up here, that is what he's looking for, and that is what gets basically this entire story going. Now later on in this page we also learn a little bit more about Richard, about his brother Michael, and his bestie Zed. Zed is known as just a cloud reader, however we later learn that he is much more important than that. But in the meantime, Richard knows that Zed would be a good resource to go to to learn about this vine as well as what it did to him. There's one paragraph on page three that I do want to point out to you seasoned readers to get your opinion on and find out if maybe this might be things from the later stories after we learn what Richard is manifesting right here in this very first chapter. It may not mean much to first-time readers, but it's something I just want to bring to your attention. So this is it. Finally, against his better judgment, he gave in to the whispers in his mind and went to the upper Venn forest, close to the boundary. The whispers haunted him with the feeling that he somehow knew something of why his father had been murdered. They teased him, tantalized him with thoughts just out of reach, and laughed at him for not seeing it. Richard lectured himself that it was just his grief playing tricks, not something real. 
What do y'all think about that? Do you think it could be playing into, uh, let's say, the third or fourth books and figuring out what he actually is? Do you think this might be his special abilities manifesting super early in the series? Let me know at bluejar at mostlygoodkind.com. Anyway, digression over, we continue on with Richard deciding that this vine that is killing this tree, he wants to get rid of it. But when he does, it bites him. Once this snake vine bites him, it leaves this thorn that wriggles deeper anytime Richard tries to remove it. That, in my opinion, means that this snake vine is somewhat sentient, meaning it has a goal, a purpose. It knows that it wants to harm this person, and by leaving this poisonous thorn under him, unable to get out, it's doing its best to try and kill him. After a minor freakout, Richard uses an alm plant to kind of help with the pain and grossness of it, and as he's replanting that, he notices this big red thing flying overhead. We are unsure as to what it is, but eventually we do find out that this is most likely a dragon. Dragons have not been seen in Westland for who knows how long. Uh, they were thought to be rumor only and not known to exist. We do learn later that they very much do exist in the Midlands. While he's trying not to let his imagination get ahead of him, he briefly mentions one of my favorite sayings, Trouble Sire's three children. The first one being the snake vine, the second being this red blob that's flying, and he thinks about what the third could be. But we are very soon to find it. Richard being Richard, he starts to chase after this thing to try and get a better look at it, but by the time he gets out of the majority of the woods, it's too far away to see. But that does lead him to the third child of trouble, and that would be a mysterious woman in a dress. She's walking through the woods on a path down below near Trunt Lake, but what really got his attention is the fact that there were four men in hooded forest cloaks following her. She didn't know that though, so immediately Richard went onto her side and wanted to help. But he was way too far above her to be able to do anything specific at that point in time, and he didn't want to alert the other men that are chasing this woman to his presence. So he decides to try and cut through the woods to get ahead of her onto the path where he knows there's a minor little cutoff that is not very well known or seen and try and sneak her out that way. So on starts Richard's headlong rush to get down to her to try and help. As he's running down to try and get in front of her, he's thinking about what he's going to say to her as well as what's going on with the bite on his hand. He knew by the way that she walked that this definitely wasn't her first rodeo through the woods, so she knew what she was doing when it came to hiking. But then he sees her. And I will read that paragraph for you. His eyes fell on the young woman as she came around the bend in front of him. His breath caught for an instant. Her brown hair was full, lush, and long, complementing the contours of her body. She was tall, almost as tall as he, and about the same age. The dress she wore was like none he had ever seen. Almost white, cut square at the neck, interrupted only by a small, tan leather waist pouch. The weave of the fabric was fine and smooth, almost glistening 
and bore none of the lace or frills he was used to seeing, no prints or colors to distract from the way it caressed her form. The dress was elegant in its simplicity. She halted in long, graceful folds regally trailing her gathered about her legs. I don't know about you, but in my opinion, that's pretty much love at first sight. Richard went up to her, keeping his distance to make sure she felt safe, and then tried to explain that he was watching, but he kind of mumbled over that and pointed to the trees instead of the cliff that he was watching from, and saw that she was being followed. And when he told her that there were four men, she kept her confessor face, but did kind of lose some color because she knew what it was. These four men are a quad. We hear more about a quad later on and also who uses them. But for now, the quad is just highly trained for soldiers that are trained only for one purpose, and that is killing confessors. We don't know what confessors are yet, and we don't know that she is one. But just to kind of get ahead of it, they have to send four due to the fact that confessors can usually take one or two. So she asks if he chooses to help her, and of course, Richard being Richard, he says yes, he wants to play the hero, although not necessarily play the hero. And uh, she thinks, or she asks what his idea is, and he said that he can take her along this other trail that he can hide their tracks and get them away from them without letting them know that they are not on that trail anymore. She does ask if he is armed, and unfortunately he is not. He forgot his knife and his pack and a couple other things in his house before he left in the morning. So he takes her down this other path that he can hide their tracks and get her away from the path that they are on where these quad men are. Then he does something that I don't completely agree with, and he starts mansplaining. Obviously, she's been traveling for quite some time, so she kind of knows what she's doing, but he silently motions to her to try and show her what to look out for and what not to, and Kaylin is polite and nods, even though it is a little bit, in my opinion, insulting that he's trying to teach this seasoned hiker how to hike. Once the path starts turning upwards, though, she does turn back regularly to make sure that she's going to the right areas so he can point out where to step and where not to. That way they're not making any noise or drawing attention to them or the fact that they are no longer on that first path. As the day wore on, it started getting clearer out. It started being a little more comfortable. They started getting more confidence that they were being further away. And then Richard mentions a cloud. There is a cloud that has taken on the undulating form of a snake with its head down and tail up. Richard took note of this earlier in the day, maybe the day before, because he knew that this was weird and he wanted to bring it to Zed's attention. Then he figured that Zed would most likely lecture him on the importance of the clouds, and he was probably watching it as they hiked. They get closer to a cliff face that they feel is a little safer, and they might be able to walk side by side, maybe even slow down a little bit, and Richard turns around to make sure they're not being followed, which they aren't. And when he turns back around, he sees that two men are now standing in front of Kaylin, and these are two of the men of the quad. Richard's brief comparison of them was that even though he, Richard, is bigger than most men, these men were much bigger than him. They couldn't hide their heavily muscled bulk behind their cloaks. So he and the woman turned around to try and run, but as they turned, two of the other quad members dropped down 
from the top of the cliff and block their way. They are officially surrounded. Richard and the woman turn back around to the first two, and they calmly push the hoods back. In each had thick blonde hair and a thick neck. Their faces were rugged, handsome. We do learn later on in the book that most people from this area are usually blonde and strong and mostly attractive people. But their attractiveness is only overpowered by their ruthlessness as well. So one of the men tells Richard that you may pass, boy, our business is with the girl. And Richard being Richard, he's not going to leave. So he turns to Kaylin, or this mysterious woman, and tells her that he won't leave her. As relief washed over her face, she tells him to stay between them and her, don't let them all come at her at once, and don't be touching her when they do it come to. And we don't learn what exactly that is about until later, of course, but that is basically her using her power to get rid of him. Now, one of the men does a thing that Richard decides for some reason to copy for pretty much the entire series, and that is cutting his arm with his sword and then bathing the sword in it to kind of get a taste of blood. Uh, The sword that Richard uses later on, this may actually mean something because, you know, sort of truth, but as of right now, it was mostly something that kind of just stuck in Richard's mind and he thought that might be beneficial even though to these men right now, it was more a threat. The four men all attacked at once as their training dictates, freaking Richard out. One of the men came to grab the woman behind him. And then when he did, there was a hard impact to the air, like a clap of thunder with no sound. The violence of it makes every joint in your body cry out in pain, kind of like every joint popping at once. This is commonly referred to as thunder with no sound throughout this first book mostly but even once we learn what it is and who she is we uh, still hear it as often as she uses her powers this happening got all of their attention onto the woman and richard used that to his advantage and ended up kicking one of the men square in the chest as hard as he could off the cliff so one down another had this thunder with no sound and he ends up starting to help the woman get rid of the other quad members. So Richard sees a second man falling through the air with his chest ripped and bloody, which is from the third man that is now helping the woman, which only leaves the one main guy. And this is the big battle for Richard. This is his first real actual fight. But luckily, the third man that is under the woman's control now helped Richard get rid of this leader guy by driving both of them over the cliff to their death. So four men down, Richard's first fight. He is in pain due to getting kicked and hit from the leader guy, but they are both alive. Adrenaline rush over. They both sit down and actually start to talk. She asks what his name is, and of course he says Richard Cipher. Then she says something that we hear regularly throughout the entire series. You are a very rare person, Richard Cipher. Now, we don't learn exactly how accurate that is until later books in the series, but that does explain that pretty much from the beginning, Terry knew where he was going, and this was the first mention of how... Richard is 
more than just what he is. She goes to introduce herself, but she hesitates and leaves off her title and just says that her name is Kaylin and her family name is Emnel. She leaves off her title due to the fact that most people are afraid of what she is and she doesn't want to risk that with Richard, even though he doesn't even know what what she is is. Richard calls Kaylin his friend and that kind of flips Kaylin out because she's never really had any real friends before other than others of her own kind. Uh, confessors usually are too feared to have friends with common people and they are more respected and feared for their power, which is why they're kind of the ones that are in charge. He tells her that being friends means that you don't have to say everything if you don't want to, and they'll still be friends, meaning, you know, you don't have to tell me all your secrets, but it would be appreciated. He tries to change the subject by asking about when's the last time she's had something to eat, and she, of course, says two days ago. We find out that it was two days ago because she was in the boundary for those two days and she couldn't stop to eat or sleep or anything. Uh, so he says, hey, let's go visit my brother Michael. He'll be able to feed you, keep you safe. And he asks, you know what, do you know who those men are? And she explains that they are a quad, they're assassins. They are sent to kill people. She, of course, leaves out the part that it's meant to kill confessors. So he says, you know, I've never heard anything like that. That that's all crazy and stuff. And he's like, do you do you know where the quad came from? And she said, yeah, they they must have tracked me out of the Midlands through the boundary. Uh, of course, Richard's belief is that no one could cross the boundary, which is technically true. Nobody can without some sort of assistance. And then he focuses in on the fact that Midlands. Midlands is a land of magic. Uh, it was sealed away before either of them were born, but we do know that it is possible for people to go over or through or around. Now, we do get explained quite a bit about the boundary and what it is and what it does, what it's going to stop doing, but the book Dead of Bones actually goes into the boundary's creation. Uh, we will cover that later on, probably after this book, as because it's more of a prequel type book. But we want to get into the characters of this book, learn who and what they are, learn more about Terry's writing itself before we start going kind of backtrack into the very short prequel that Dead of Bones is. So stay tuned for that one later on in this season we will put it towards the end but in the meantime that is the first two chapters of wizard's first rule we got a brief introduction of two of the three main characters of the book as well as one of the three main areas of the book and we kind of got a little hint as to who or what kaylin is. We don't learn exactly what it is yet, but it will go over it once the book switches to her point of view. The next episode, we'll get to meet Michael and Chase and listen to Michael's overly personal speech, as well as see Kaylin and her amazingly awesome rejection skills. We will also be introduced to our main antagonist, Dark and Rawl. So don't forget to follow us on Facebook and sign up to be alerted when the next episode comes out. Thank you and safe travels.